Our First Baptist Family's mission statement is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others in a joyful life with Him. And to fit very closely with that is our theme for this season, Go and Tell. We hope everything that we provide, all the resources, encourage you, equip you to do just that. Go and Tell. Well, good morning, and I am super excited to begin a journey through this letter to the Galatians uh, with you doing that together. Before we start that journey, though, I want to draw your attention to several things happening within our church family. We have something that we call our Discover class. It's an opportunity for those of you who have been new here in our church family and want to explore what it means to partner with this church family, be a member of this church family. That is our Discover class. It begins 8.30 before most of our everyone else shows up, um, and you have an opportunity to kind of walk through these facilities, get an idea of the history of this church family, and then you'll be in a, a, a Sunday school class at 9.30, uh, further exploring what it means to be a member of this church family, and then right after worship, you have the privilege of joining some of the pastors uh, for lunch, and we get to talk to you about vision and mission and expectations uh, that you can have of us and of this church family and the expectations that we would have of you. So if you're in that category of exploring what it means to be a member here, we would love for you to join us at next week's Discover class. You can learn more about that online. Also, Lord's Supper is next week. Now, we say that to remind you moms and dads, it's an opportunity to really teach kiddos about why we do this thing called the Lord's Supper. We actually have produced for you a little printout that kind of guides a conversation that you can have with your kids. You can pick those up in the back. Find your spot. Find your spot. We believe every church family member has a place to serve and minister to others within our church family and to join God in what he is doing in and through our church family. If you want to explore your spot, uh, you can do that online by going to find your spot uh, or going to our website, fbcsa.org, find your spot. Also, quick quick mentions, Financial Peace University actually starts tomorrow. You can get more information online. It's a virtual experience, so you don't have to be in person, uh, but you can sign up for that. Um, and Christianity Explored. Christianity Explored is a seven-week program to learn about who Jesus is and what it means to be his follower and how to live this life faithfully um, following after him every single day. We have a lot going on in our church family, and that's just the tip of the iceberg, but we wanted to draw your attention to those things. With that said, if you're new here today, thank you so much for walking through these doors or coming to a brand new place. We don't take that for granted. We would love to know that you were here with us. You can let us know by going to fbcsa.org slash connect. And our mission as a church family is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others in a joyful life with him. We absolutely believe that and we want to increase in our faithfulness to be about that mission. Also, we would encourage you to continue to give through this church family to be a part of that mission. You can do that by going to fbcsa.org slash give. Now, if you would honor me by standing and we will read God's word together. We're going to read Galatians chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 with one voice. Here we go. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. 
I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from his evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. And Lord, we help by the power of your spirit that you would help us to see and to hear and to understand and to put it into practice in our life. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, you may be seated. So Galatians is a letter. It's a letter sent to several different churches in a region referred to as Galatia. So Not just one church received this, but multiple in that area were intended to receive this letter. And then, of course, us today and all other churches in human history along the way. It was written by Paul. He tells us that right from the beginning. This letter is from Paul. And Paul describes himself as an apostle. Now, apostle is someone who was given unique authority by Jesus himself to be an ambassador, to be Jesus's spokesperson to this new movement that Jesus had started on the earth. And so Paul, he was a missionary. Uh, He was a church planter. Uh, Paul had three separate missionary journeys in his lifetime He went from town to town. In this case, he had gone from town to town in Galatia and started brand new churches by inviting them to follow Jesus, the Messiah, uh, for the whole world. And Paul was passionate about that mission of planting new churches all across the known world. And so Paul saw himself really as a steward, maybe even a revolutionary of sorts, a steward of truth, uh, the truth about Jesus and who he is and joining Jesus in that movement to remake the whole world and that movement and body message of grace and you can have peace and fellowship with God. And it was a message about freedom, freedom. In fact, if we could capture all of Galatians, we might say it like this, Jesus sets us free. And he wants to remind these churches in Galatia that 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 is the truth, the truth. Here's my challenge for you. As we explore all that that means, that Jesus sets us free, I wanna challenge you to read this little letter every week for the next 13 weeks. I really would love for us over the next 13 weeks as we dive in and learn more about Paul and more about this truth that he holds so dear that you would read it every single week, the letter in its entirety. It's really short. You could do it probably every day if you set aside the time to do so, but would you join me 
in that challenge. One of the things that I do love about this letter in particular that is even more unique than his other epistles, Paul wrote several other letters to churches that are in, captured for us in the New Testament. But one of the things I love about uh, his letter to the Galatians is that he shares with us a lot more about his biography, who he is and the experiences that he has had. Now, he does so to establish his own credibility as he delivers this, these hard things to these people that he loves. Um, but I think it's really cool that on this journey in these next 13 weeks that we have the privilege to get a little more detail about Paul's life. Real excited about this unique opportunity to explore his biography. But this letter really is about freedom and reaffirming the freedom that we have in Jesus alone. But in these first 10 verses, there are two things that we really learn about Paul that also we're going to be growing in over the course of this 13-week journey in Galatia, in Galatians. And that first thing that we learn about Paul that we're going to see in a moment is that Paul really cares about the truth. He really cares about the truth. And the second thing that we learn right away is not only does he really care about the truth, but he really cares about people. He really cares about these churches and the people that make up these churches. So that's where we're going this morning is looking to where these first few verses really bring to life how he cares about truth and he cares about people and as it's an invitation for us to do the same in our own lives, in our own church family. So let me read verses six through 10. Paul says, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or any, even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcome, the one you receive, let that person be cursed. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Right away, right away, we know why he wrote this letter because Paul cares about the truth. He is passionate about what is true and Paul is very direct. He's very serious and there is an urgency to his caring for the truth that these people had received originally. He's serious. He's angry. He's shocked. And we see that in verse Six, essentially the, the truth that Paul is most concerned about that really the rest of this letter is gonna walk through, the truth that he's most been out of shape about, at least in that it has now been twisted, he's most concerned about answering this question. What must a person do to enter the kingdom of God? He, he's concerned and he cares about the truth of that answer to that question. 
In fact, if you, if you jump down to verse 10, he tells you, obviously, I'm, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Paul says, listen, I, I want you to know, if I wanted to be a people pleaser, I couldn't be a servant of the truth. If I was just interesting in appealing to and appeasing the whims of people and just, just making sure that people accept me, then I wouldn't be concerned about truth. I wouldn't care about truth. In fact, I really couldn't even be a servant of God if that were the case. But he says, you can tell by these words, by my urgency and how serious I am that I really care about the truth. I'm willing to step in because I care about the truth because the truth transcends the thoughts and opinions of people. Y'all know this, we live in a very diverse world. We always have been since man chose to go his own way and her own way. We've adopted all kinds of ideas and opinions, but truth transcends that. Truth of the capital T transcends the thoughts and opinions and ideas of people. And that's why Paul says, listen, if I were a people pleaser and not a pleaser of the truth, namely Jesus, then I wouldn't be concerned with the truth but I am concerned with the truth because the truth absolutely matters. It transcends everything. And Paul clearly is concerned about the truth. He cares about the truth because the truth can be twisted. The truth can masquerade as good news or someone can take the truth and add to the truth or give a completely different truth. And it can masquerade as good news. He says, he says in verse seven, it's not good news at all. You've turned from the good news. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Jesus. Paul cares about the truth because the simplicity of the truth in Jesus alone has been twisted and it's being spoken of as if it's good news, but it's not good news is all. Others have come and twisted the truth and have called it good news. Now, we're going to get into the details over the next several weeks of what was happening, what, how the truth was being twisted. We have enough time for that. But one of the questions I have is, how does that, does that happen today? How does the twisting of the truth happen today? Now, I think... Something that we need to note is Paul is going to be addressing the twisting of truth that has happened with inside the church among people who called themselves Christians or followers of Jesus. It, it didn't start from the outside and filter in. This was a twisting of the truth that happened on the inside. So does the twisting of the truth still happen in the church today? Absolutely. I'm just gonna give two quick examples the first one is, is something that we have now defined as Christian nationalism. It's when Christianity is defined primarily by a national political movement where some think that the greatest hope for Christianity is the United States of America. That's not the truth. 
And so we see the twisting of the truth, the hijacking of Jesus and the adding to of Jesus. That now you're defined by your political views as to whether or not you're a Christian or not. Or legalism. Legalism has been around from the very beginning. And perhaps it's exactly what Paul is addressing here. But legalism says that you're not a Christian unless you adopt certain rituals and practices in your life. That's what defines you as a Christian. Growing up um, in Christendom, I grew up as a missionary around families that loved Jesus, but growing up in churches in the South, oftentimes, and, and this is not, this is very general, but when you talk about people's relationship with the church or you ask for their story of faith, what do they say? I grew up in the church. And when they talk about their story of faith, oftentimes it has nothing to do with Jesus. It has everything to do with practices and rituals that now define them as being a Christian. Now, we know that when you come to faith in Christ, certain things by the leadership of the Spirit begin to take shape. You adopt values of the kingdom, but when we start to define our faith and our salvation in terms of what we do, then we've adopted legalism. Those things happen in our church today. We also know that the twisting of the truth happens in the world, all around us. We experience that all the time. And so I'm just gonna identify one of those twistings of the truth. One of, the, one of those twistings of the truth today in our culture is your truth is your business. And that's been around for a long time. We say your truth is your business. Who am I to dictate your opinions and tell you what you should think and what you should believe. It's your business. Well, it's your business as long as it doesn't mess with my business. Now, we experience that more than ever in our culture. We call it tribalism, where people say, you're entitled to believe whatever you want as long as it doesn't bother me and what I believe. And people just start yelling at each other. But there's a twisting of the truth all around us and even within the church. And that's what Paul is concerned about. Paul cares about the truth. And he says there's, there's a, a moment when supposed good news or the twisting of the truth becomes bad news. Bad news. Maybe a parallel example in our world that's very relevant today. And this has been in our history particularly. It's unique to the United States of America, but the opioid epidemic. We've had a, um, a, a relationship with opioids for a very long time, even into the early 19th century, when we, they started prescribing laudanum and opioids and things laced with heroin because they believed that if you could just manage the pain that you could get well. And of course, we know that's what it's led to today. Every day, about 90 people die from supposed good news. What was good news? You need this. It'll help you. Has now created a travesty in our nation who literally bought the good news, even maybe it was well-intentioned, bought the good news and have suffered the consequences. Good news quickly becomes bad news. Bad news. No matter the intention, it doesn't matter how well-meaning the supposed truth was. It doesn't matter if the people bringing this good news are 
twisting of the truth Galatia really meant the best for the Galatians, the outcome is the same. The twisting of the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus is bad news. The outcome is destructive. Over the course of these 13 weeks, I really want us to consider how we too might really care about the truth. How we too might be passionate about what is true in the simplicity of the gospel, which we're gonna pack more and more every week. I want us as a church family to really get serious and care about the truth that we have in Jesus. How can that take greater shape in us? The second thing that I've already mentioned about Paul is that it's clear he really cares about people. That's why he writes this letter. Paul is not in some theological ivory tower. Uh, He's just not musing about the truth. He's just not stomping the floor in his own bedroom and beating his own back, lamenting over what's happening. He's not just philosophizing. No, Paul recognized that the truth is. The truth is, is real and it shapes all of our reality and he cares about people and their relation to the truth. That's why he writes this. Because Paul's a shepherd, he's a pastor, not just some theologian. He cares about how people relate and respond to the truth. He cares about the outcome of believing something that's not good news at all. He really cares. He knows some of these people by name. He's had meals in their homes. He's baptized a few. He cares about them. And he cares that they follow the truth and not something that's been twisted. He cares enough that it compels him to step in and say something. Say something and not just let it ride. Can I just remind you that caring about truth and caring about people is never at odds. It's never unloving to have meaningful conversations about what is true. It's, it's why we tell our kids not to play in the street, or at the very least, to watch, about the, of the, watch the cars coming to and fro. It's why we tell them to reapply sunscreen. It's why we tell, tell kids and, uh, to wash their hands, because we care about the truth. There are repercussions if any one of those three simple things are ignored. So Paul cares about the truth in the same way because it has a very real, physical, and tangible outcome if they ignore the truth or adopt a different truth. When we care about truth in people, we will get involved. We will step in, even if it means saying or doing hard things. One of the most incredible stories in the modern missions movement is the story of Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and three other missionaries who gave their life, literally, to love a tribe of people called the Modani. They had spent some time there preparing their interaction with this tribe. It was a very warlike tribe. And they flew in and landed on this particular, because this tribe was in the mountains. 
but they were committed to loving this tribe and stepping in and getting involved so that they could deliver the truth to them. And Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and these three other men, before they even landed the plane, spears were thrown at the plane. All five of them lost their lives. Why? Because they cared about the truth and they cared about people which compelled them to say and do hard things, even at their own expense. And this is true for Paul. He's, he's willing to say things like, I'm shocked that you would turn away from God so soon. He's willing to say really tough stuff because he cares about truth and he cares about these People, He's willing to step in, go the extra mile to try to preserve the lives of the people that he cares about. Caring about people means being willing to say and do the hard things. My question for us is, what keeps us, what keeps us from caring enough to say something? What keeps us from caring enough about truth and about people to step in and do something and say something? I have a few ideas, a few ideas. Nancy Percy, a Christian philosopher, she writes a book called Total Truth, highly recommend it. She talks about this two-storied house And on the first floor is that empirical truth or scientific truth, truth that we can touch with our hands and see with our eyes. And then on the second floor is this this spiritual nebulous truth. And we never allow the second floor and the first floor to interact. In fact, we kind of treat the second floor as if it has nothing to do with the first floor. It's something untouchable, something that you really can't really wrap your mind around. It's, it's, it's kind of left up to your imagination and your own opinions and ideas. And we never allow the two floors to interact. I think we have adopted that whether we realize it or not. Where do most of our spiritual conversations happen? At a particular location, a church building or in a Sunday school class, or in a small group. I know this is a general statement, but most of us have carved out little compartments. Here's my first floor life. This is where I'm going from point A to point B and getting groceries, and I've got my vocation. And then we have my second floor life where I talk with my small group about spiritual things, but then two never interact And so why would we have meaningful conversations about the truth in all the other places that we go? Because we have divided our lives between the first floor and the second floor. It happens, we don't even realize it. The second reason I think is because we tend to live for what's right in front of us. What's right in front of us. That next thing. We rarely live our life with a broader view of what's happening, much less realizing our, the, our experience of the reality that we are, part, we are part of what God is doing in all the earth. We just live for that next moment. My goodness, I, I experience that. Listen, when I mention these things, I'm right up in here. You know, you get home and you're asking your kids, what's your schedule like tomorrow? Gotta go to the grocery store. 
We've got to get this done. We've got to check this off the list. We just live for what's right in front of us. If you've ever taught a student how to drive, a child how to drive, one of the things that you teach them is that, listen, the way you drive successfully is not looking at the hood of the car. You've got to look down the road where you're going because if you just look at the hood of the car, you're just going to keep on running in to stuff. The curb's going to be your friend. And for many of us, for many of us, we just live like we're looking at the hood of the car and we're just running into the curb all the time, running into the stuff because we're not looking further down the road. We just don't have the time or the energy. The last one that I think, and there's probably a whole list we could come up, but one of the other reasons I think that we other things that keeps us from really caring enough to say something, to have important conversations about truth, is what I call the you-do-you myth. And that's just a very common little phrase we use now. You just, you do you. You do you. Uh, you develop your own identity, your own ideas and opinions and beliefs. And we say that. We say that, our culture says that, because we would like to think that it means that we're being loving and respectful of that person. I'm not gonna insist that you do things the way I do things. I'm really gonna respect you and allow you to do you. The truth is, it has nothing to do with respecting the other person. It has more to do with apathy. I really don't care what you think. I don't have enough time or energy to really dive into what you believe or think. So you just, you do you. I mean, I've got enough to worry about in my own life. And so our culture kind of pumps that out. And whether we realize it or not, we just kind of adopt it. Who am I to step into their business? And it just cultivates a spirit of indifference. I'll just let them do them. But what keeps us from stepping in to having meaningful conversations about what is right and true and not in the ivory tower pointing finger kind of way but because we care for people? What would it look like? What would it look like if we became revolutionaries for the truth? That we entered boldly into conversations at the cafe or inviting people into our homes. We did it graciously and lovingly, but what if we cared about the truth like Paul cared about the truth? What if we cared about people like Paul cared about people? I love our church family. I love our church family. But we primarily are a church family that holds on to the truth. We love God's word. We talk about God's word when we're together. I know, I know we believe and love Jesus, our Redeemer. But, 
What if God ignited a movement among our church family that said, the conversations about Jesus must extend beyond our gatherings together. They must extend into the normal rhythms of life because we care about Jesus and we care about people. Don't you want that to be us more and more? Don't you want us to be characterized by the movement that God started through his son Jesus, that Paul couldn't shake and the other 11 couldn't shake? Don't you want to be a part of that, something that's true and changes the lives of people around you? Will we, will we throw off indifference and apathy? Will we unite the first and second floor to say Jesus is a part of all areas of our life, not just these little parts of our life? May we believe that. May we understand the daily reality of the kingdom of God at work in us and through us so that we might be mobilized to care about truth, care about people. Over the next 13 weeks, we will learn about Paul We will learn about what he's passionate about. We will learn about the freedoms that we have in Jesus. I want us to grow in that. I want us to rejoice in the freedoms that we have in Jesus that Christ has afforded us through his death and resurrection. And I want us to grow and me along with you and this church staff and every small group and Bible study group, I want us to grow enough and care enough about the people around us to be Jesus revolutionaries to have the conversations, to step in to our neighbors' lives because we care about people and we care about truth. Let's pray. Father, help us uh, on this journey, this uh, maybe even a reawakening by your spirit that your son is. He's even a greater reality than the Son, S-U-N, He is the greatest reality to whom everyone responds. But Lord, help us to get caught up by the truth of Jesus. Help us to care about that truth and help us to care about people enough that we might step in to our neighbor's lives and a gracious reasonable, loving, consistent kind of way. Help us to be a part of that movement. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen.